0: Hello and welcome to the political party today's guest is Siobhan Benita who ran for the London mayoralty twice sort of I'll explain what I mean in just a tick before that I've had so many emails about the last episode with Ro Jacobi, which was deeply emotional Um, so thank you for all your wonderful feedback I've seen people tweeting Ro as well so I'm so I'm sure he's delighted um, that people have enjoyed that really emotional story so much and if anyone out there can give him a publishing deal do get in touch with him of course you can get in touch with this show political party at gmail.com with your stories of strange embarrassing or even tedious encounters with politicians anthony fry has been in touch he says i was traveling back from the west country by train and took advantage of the three pound discount to upgrade to first class anthony when was it i mean firstly i'm guessing it was a weekend and secondly, I'm guessing it was about 50 years ago. Anyway, he says, As I entered the cabin and settled myself in to the plush seating, drinking my complimentary cup of tea, I heard a voice I thought I recognised. I stood up to connect the voice with the person talking. Sure enough, it was Anne Widdicombe. Wow. I thought eavesdropping might provide me with some juicy putdown akin to her something of the night comment. What I didn't expect to hear was her talking to her assistant in quite strident tones, asking why her appearance fee was so low. I guess this must have been around the time of her appearance on Strictly. So it can't have been that long ago, Tony. A £3 upgrade to first class within the last 20 years? What an incredible deal. And of course, you got to see Anne Widdicombe. So if you can beat Tony's story, email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, the political party is returning to the stage, its natural home where it belongs, and at a new home at the Duchess Theatre in the West End of London, which I'm very excited about. And the opening night on Monday the 27th of September has a very special guest. And as it's Labour Conference Week, one of the biggest stars in the Labour Party, one of the biggest stars in British politics, Andy Burnham, is my special guest. He's coming down all the way from Manchester um, for that. So that's Monday, the 27th of September, at the Duchess Theatre. And then every fortnight after that, some fantastic guests to be announced for future dates as well. You can get tickets for all those shows at matford.com/slash live. On to today's guest, Siobhan Benita, who is a total inspiration and a brilliant person to talk to about politics. She stood as an independent in the 2012 mayoral election. We go into detail about that. She had a phenomenal result, finishing just behind the Lib Dems by a whisker. It's incredible. For an independent to stand for London mayor then and to get the result she got is absolutely incredible. Then, Siobhan stands as the Lib Dem candidate but pulls out before polling day. And we talk about why and and her relationship with the Lib Dems now and just the full story on what went on there. But also... Siobhan was a career civil servant, really successful, um, uh, advised cabinet ministers in the new Labour and in the coalition era. We talk about why Siobhan left the civil service, but her approach to politics and where she is, I think will really resonate with a lot of you. And even if it's not your politics, I think there's something so inspiring about people who just want to get involved, but who the party system has completely let down. Now, (laughs) in the last five to 10 years, I think that's a lot of people and there are a lot of people like Siobhan who really should be in elected politics, who should be in positions of influence because they're really talented and they're really thoughtful and they really understand people. But this breakdown in British politics that is still playing out has alienated and not served some of our brightest and best talents. So it's a story really, a very modern political story. And I began by asking Siobhan, she joined the Lib Dems the morning after the EU referendum. I began by asking her whether, until that point, she'd ever considered herself to be party political. No, not at all.
1: In fact, the opposite. So, as you said, I ran in 2012 as an independent, and part of the reason for that was having been in the civil service and kind of seen ministers up close, seen how parliament works, I'd got really disillusioned with party politics. I'd got really frustrated with just how bad it was. And the thought that, you know, it needs to be better than this. This is like, these people are shaping a lot of the things that affect people's lives. And they weren't very good. You know, a lot of them just weren't very good. A lot, a lot were very not, don't get me wrong. I think there are brilliant politicians in all parties, but overall, the just the machinery of government and the the kind of the inner workings of, of the parties was just letting us all down. So um, I never thought about joining a party. I, I was always a Labour supporter and I'd always kind of voted Labour and I knew that's where my heart was. Um, but when I left the civil service in 2012, my first thought was: if I'm going to run for politics, I want to do it on my own. Like I want to do it as an independent because um, yeah, I just didn't think that the parties were doing enough really and were quite dysfunctional and behind the scenes when you see what goes on it's quite scary actually
0: yeah well it sounds like there's a lot of stories there hopefully (laughs) hopefully you're prepared to tell some of them but was it that you'd always had that view from day one in the civil service so obviously you'd worked under the blair and brown government and then into the coalition years was it that that your view is consistent over that period or do you think the quality of politicians in that time got worse
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, because it's a bit hard to answer for me, really, because as you say, I joined the civil service in the end of 96 or beginning of 97. I'm really bad with dates. um, But essentially, my entire career up until the 2010 um, election was under New Labour. And so I didn't really think about things a lot in the wider sense of kind of how, because actually I was really happy with... Direction of the government. I saw lots of money and emphasis um, and thoughts going into kind of public services. It was a brilliant time to be a civil servant because you really felt like you were doing things that were helping to make people's lives better. And, you know, we had a cabinet secretary, Gus O'Donnell, at the time, who was really great at kind of communicating that to civil servants that this is what you're here for you know you might not get the best pay in the world but actually you can go home satisfied that things that you are helping to implement are actually making people's lives better and when you saw kind of what was being you know done in terms of investment in schools in sure starts um hospital waiting times all of those things it was actually a really quite a fulfilling place to work so i didn't really question Um, so much I think looking back you know I'd gone straight in from university so I didn't really question too much at that time but yeah certainly the politicians that I worked with at the time and as a junior you know going in even on a fast stream you don't get that much contact with ministers at the beginning you know you sit in meetings but you're not the one at the start giving advice it was over the years I got to kind of work more and more closely with different ministers but they were quite impressive you know a lot of the new labour of people quite impressive he, you know people like john prescott i did some of the climate change stuff you might not have understood everything he was saying
0: <laughs> the
1: conversations that he had you know with kind of his counterparts abroad their offices would phone back going sorry but we didn't understand all of that kind of thing but he was actually really really driven by wanting to do a good job you know and i, I don't think he got a lot of credit you know for amount of effort he put in on things like climate change you know he really cared about it so yeah there was a sense that that the MPs that the you know government ministers at the time um cared about what they were doing put in the effort put in the time they all were on top of their briefs you know and it and it was a very as I said it was a it was a great place to work as a civil servant that changed in 2010 that for me that changed but maybe that's because you know if I kind of reflect To myself, I don't think I'm a great civil servant. I wasn't wasn't impartial. I wasn't kind of politically neutral at all. And I only realised that, really, when the coalition government came in. Do you think that's true of other colleagues? I think it's really interesting because every government that comes in, every new change of administration, so when you went from kind of Labour to the coalition, when you went from coalition to the Conservatives, they all think... That civil servants are going to work against them. They all think that civil servants have gone native to the kind of administration before. My genuinely, my experience of civil servants is even if they have their own kind of political views, which, you know, they're human and they have their political views, they understand that actually, when they are, you know, in the civil service, they, their job is to implement government policy to the best way that they can so that it has the biggest impact on the public Um, and I and I think that's genuinely what most of them do um, which is why it's really I think really sad when you see senior civil servants getting thrown under the bus or policies that you know ministers have brought in but having said that I've also become really frustrated with civil servants over the kind of Brexit period because a big part of your job is to speak truth unto power and I don't think civil servants did that enough in the last uh, kind of two years or so. And, you know, in the extreme kind of case of that, there's a thing called a, a direction. You know, if you've given advice to ministers and you've put forward the kind of cost benefit analysis, you've put forward all the impact assessments um, and you advise what you think the preferred option is, if a minister goes against that, op- that advice that civil servants have given, to the extent that the civil servants think this is not good value for money for the public, they have a duty to then ask the minister, say, OK, we'll do it. You're the elected you know, ministers. We will implement those policies. But we want, we want it kind of on the record that you're directing us to do this against our advice. And there's a thing called a, a ministerial direction. I actually got to the point where I think the cabinet secretary should have asked for a direction on the whole of Brexit. Because it so obviously was not good value for money, and it obviously was not in the public interest to to continue down this path of kind of a hard Brexit. And I think that was in. I think it was really interesting because I think all our institutions kind of let us down, whether it was um, you know bodies representing business or you know whether it was the civil service, I think or, or academics even. I think people were too shy, too nervous to come out and say this is not good for the country, and I wish more people had had the nerve to do that.
0: And did you ever have to tell a minister to give you direction? Did they ever not take your advice?
1: Um, I didn't, because usually it falls to the Permanent Secretary, because they are the kind of person responsible for the, for the money. They're the the kind of responsible for the finances in a, in a department. Um, and it happens quite... It's very rare to happen. I think there's probably only two or three a year that happen um, in government. So it's not something that I ever did. But, I mean, the thing that... The thing where I would say ministers didn't heed any advice in my when I was in government was in the coalition government when Andrew Lansley came in um, with his reforms of the health service. It wasn't so much that he didn't heed advice; it was that nobody understood what his reforms were. He would literally been working on. The, they were so complicated, and just. The 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 NHS is so massive, you know, and it's got so many different parts to it. And he had this very complicated restructuring based around kind of GPs being at the heart of everything. And he and I used to sit in meetings, I was actually secretary to the to the Department of Health board at that time. And he used to talk all the time about your family doctor. And I used to sit there thinking, I don't know a single person that has a family doctor. You know, every you go to the doctor, you see a different GP. That's the way nowadays right and his his vision of this NHS was this I thought very old-fashioned vision that everybody still had their like friendly family doctor which I just don't think exists. No it
0: seems to be a sort of very village-based view of life.
1: Absolutely absolutely and that was I mean that was a big part of why I left I think because those NHS reforms had never been in a manifesto so even a you know you talked you asked do civil servants have their own political views? Sure you do, but you know that if you're implementing things that have been in a manifesto, whether you agree with them or not, that's democracy. That's kind of healthy democracy, and I and I love the fact that our civil service is an impartial civil service. I think that's a I think that genuinely is world leading. You know we use that phrase a lot, but I think it is. But actually the the health reforms hadn't been in a manifesto, and the opposite of that, David yeah. Cameron. We're not going to reform. You know, we're not going to do top down. And actually, it was a real case study of terrible policymaking because Andrew Lansley came in. Despite all of that, he had these massive reforms in Department of Health. I was emailing people in cabinet office. Other people were emailing other officials in health was emailing number 10 and saying, you need to worry about this. There are these massive reforms. But they were so focused on how do we make a coalition work in those early days that by the time they got around to looking at what was going on in Department of Health, it was too late. Those reforms were basically underway and you couldn't stop them. At that point, I thought, actually, this isn't democratic. I don't want to be helping bring these reforms in. I don't think they're the right thing to do. And then I looked around and thought, well, where else do I want to go? I don't want to go to education under Michael Gove. You know, I, I really, and that was when it kind of struck me, actually, I don't think I'm comfortable in the civil service under, although it was a coalition guy, essentially a conservative, very conservative-led government, and which led me to thinking I need to do something else.
0: And and that's something else, is stand for Mayor of London as an independent, which standing for Mayor of London, even with party backing, is difficult. It's exposing, it's exhausting, it's... uh, I mean, you think of history, you know, the, the experience that Frank Dobson had. I mean, it's just, it's so difficult. So you're standing probably, I mean, let's be honest, knowing deep down that you're not going to win, or, or did at any point you think, actually, I think I might do this?
1: I think I was just really naive. I think <laughs> I really naive. And actually, I think I, I, think I started a trend, because this year there were 20 candidates running for Mayor of London. So um, what was in, what was, what was... Kind of all the factors at the time drive me. Is I I wanted to leave the civil service, but by that point I knew I was quite political, and I hadn't been political when I was younger. But I, I kind of just there was this sense that things have to be better than this, and there were lots of things in my mind. Which like, I had two young daughters. You know, I've got two daughters young at the time, and I kept saying to them, "You can do anything in this country. Like, you're really lucky, like women and men." And then I started looking around. And I thought. Actually, that's not really true. Like it's still very male white dominated everywhere you look. And I thought, well, actually, if women like me don't walk the walk as well as talk the talk, what then where are the kind of examples for the kind of my daughter? So there's a part of that which is okay, I think I do want to go into politics. And um, so that was one thing. And then also after 2010, and the, when the coalition government came in, there was this push, um, you know, they started doing the kind of legislation for metro mayors. So there was this push in the civil service that we want different kinds of people to come forward for these roles. It didn't work out that way, unfortunately. <laughs> it ended up being party political kind of roles. But there was this sense that actually there are these roles, these mayoral roles, where you could encourage different kinds of people to come forward. And then a few people said to me, well, if you really want to go into politics, you need to find something. And again, like you said, I didn't want to join a party. So where'd you go? And actually somebody, I think it was Gus O'Donnell, I don't know if he would he would deny this, I'm not sure, but... Um, So we'll try the mayoral you know, and see. And it was the best thing I've ever done. It was the most enjoyable thing I've ever done. Um, And it was a real eye-opener in a lot of ways. But I don't regret it at all. It was just, it was so much fun.
0: (laughs) Great. Well, I've got so many questions about it. Firstly, at that point then, you say you'd always been a Labour person. You're clearly not uh, enamoured with what the the Tories and the Lib Dems are doing in, in government. But in 2012, you weren't ready to join the Labour Party at that point, even though in your heart you're a Labour supporter. So what was it about Labour in 2012, which is pre-Corbyn, that didn't yeah. do it for you?
1: Well, that was it, I think. It was changing. you know. And the criticism that I get quite a lot thrown at me is um, you move around a bit. You know, you were an independent, you say you voted Labour, but then you joined the Lib Dems. You know, you can't be trusted, kind of thing. Who Actually- says that? Low, low, I get that all the time, especially from Labour people.
0: I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow.
1: But my, my argument to that or my comeback to that is I don't think my values have changed and I don't think my principles have changed. But the Labour Party I used to vote for is not recognisable in the Labour Party today. So why would I still vote for that party? And actually, I think... Partly, the reason why our politics is so bad is that people are reluctant to shift their vote. And actually, the Tories managed to get people to shift their vote. Labour haven't managed to do that. I would much rather that people look to every election and say, "Okay, who represents my values, rather than just this kind of blind loyalty to a brand that... Doesn't mean the same anymore. You can't, you you couldn't look at a Corbyn Labour or even an Ed Miliband Labour Party, and think that was the same as a Tony Blair Labour Party. So, and I think this is when I read your book, Politically Homeless. Every word of it resonated with me because I oh, just, crikey. well, from kind of, I don't know, that general election. But when you know, when David Cameron kind of left, when Ed Miliband came in, where do people like me go now? You know, where where do people who who I see myself very much as a centrist. Where do I go? Where do I vote? And I'm not going to keep voting for a Labour Party when it's got somebody like Jeremy Corbyn as its leader. I'm, I'm just not going to just keep giving them my vote because they don't deserve it. You know, so where do I go? And that's why I think that the Lib Dems were the were the party, especially come coming up to the EU referendum, you know, they were the only party that I kind of thought, I see stuff in there that I I can kind of relate to. And that's why I kind of, uh, joined then, but.
0: And how yeah. do you feel about Labour now under Keir Starmer?
1: Overwhelmingly disappointed. I mean, I wanted Keir to be the answer. I wanted Keir to be that change, that shift that would bring people like me back. And I mean, if he's going to do it, it's just too slow because the country's suffering and struggling right now. And we needed Labour to be confident in what it stands for. And we needed them to get back to that party that, I was proud to vote for. You know, a, I don't want to support a Labour Party that panders to Brexit kind of vote. I don't want that. That doesn't speak to me at all. I can't emotionally connect with that. I don't know what policies they they have. You know, I don't know what this Labour Party is. And I thought Keir would change that and he hasn't. So yeah, disappointed is my Kind of overwhelming feeling
0: so you decide to stand in 2012 how do you go about running a campaign because i mean of all the places london is massive covering yeah. it is basically impossible even for political parties how did you know what to do i didn't, <laughs> I just didn't. so
1: i got when i said i was going to do it the, the amazing thing for me is nobody went oh my god that's mad and the kind of people paused even my husband kind of paused and then went yeah, OK, let's do this. That was that was the first thing. Then a small group of friends and kind of colleagues started to work with me and help. none of it was paid. Like nobody was paid for this campaign. So we had a, a core group, about five of us. And I had to do loads of background reading. Although I'm, I've been living, lived in London all my life, worked in London all my life. You know, I still had to do that. Oh, my God, how many boroughs are there? How many bridges are there? How many all of this kind of things are there? What does the mayor actually look after what's the mayor's responsibility. So I did a whole load of kind of spotting up, um, probably more than Boris ever did for me. <laughs> um, and then looking and then genuinely like thinking about, you know, what are the big issues? What are the big um, problems and everything? Um, and then I just threw myself into it. And you start to um, kind of understand how the campaign works and what the official kind of period is and everything. And then more and more people started to hear about the campaign. And come on board and i think i was quite lucky in that i was the first serious independent to run you know i mean ken obviously ran is it but he wasn't an independent he was essentially the labor yeah. so i think they'd never had an independent who had a kind of government background like me who kind of knew who wasn't a kind of crazy figure doing it for kind of you know weird reasons or whatever genuinely i was doing this as a serious campaign and so some of the broadsheets started getting in you know i got quite good coverage from um the guardian the times the Evening Standard actually were interesting. They gave me quite a lot of coverage because they really didn't want Ken to win <laughs> and they thought I would take some votes off him. So I was happy to take that because, you know, know how hard it is to get coverage. So, um, yeah, so it kind of just grew from there. And then I was lucky I had this... Um, somebody introduced me to a woman called Giselle Green who'd worked on the BBC and media stuff and, um, and she became my press person. She was just, like, relentless at getting... And, a press, and we said we'd never do a negative press release, and we were pumping out all these positive press releases. And I think that got people interested in, who is this person trying to do this, you know? And we got a fair bit of coverage at the start, which helped.
0: And were there any hustings or debates? Did you ever get the chance to go up against Ken Livingston or Boris Johnson?
1: Yeah, only, um, only once or twice. So, again, one of the most frustrating things about running as an independent in 2012 is that at the beginning... Um, on the hustings, everybody would block me out. So essentially, they would only take the Lib Dems, the Greens, um, Ken and Boris, you know, the big four. And then I was lumped with UKIP, BMP, and me were the others. Imagine that. So I was put in hustings with those all the time. And my argument was to run for mayor of London, it's a big ask. You've got to get £20,000, so it's £10,000 deposit, and it's £10,000 to be in the mayoral booklet. Um, And you have to get, which they changed this year, but you have to get 330 signatures, 10 from each of the London boroughs. I did all of that. So I had to be, I was treated like everybody else, like a political party to to get in. But once I was in, they didn't treat me like the others. Mm. And I was, I think we took the BBC to tribunal, to its trust three times during that campaign, because they wouldn't give me any coverage on telly because their rules were based on, a political party, how much time you give a political party and somebody who's run before. And I said, well, I can't possibly meet those rules because I've never run before and I'm an independent. And they kept saying, well, we're not breaching our rules. And I kept saying, no, but your rules are completely out of date. And actually, after the election, the Electoral Commission wrote to me and said, we are sorry, you were treated badly. And they do now give independents political party broadcasts. So I didn't get one of those, for example. some people for example like the times put me on their hustings they ran a hustings and they put me on there was an operation black votes which ran a hustings and they put me on but most of them what they would do is they would run the main hustings and then they would like give me two minutes afterwards to respond something and i think this is a big problem as well because i think if we want different people come into politics and break through we have to change this system otherwise you're just you know everybody who wants to hear from Morris and Ken over and over again. You know, I mean, we've had enough of that, surely.
0: So, get some new voices in there. <laughs> and, and what was it? On the times where you were um, effectively allowed to, to to be on the platform, what was your assessment of them as opponents?
1: Um, substandard, honestly. I mean, I was I was surprised, and I and I'm surprised now actually by the hustings. Like even this time, when you see kind of. Um, uh, Sadiq and um Sean Bailey, so Sadiq and Sean. It's not brilliant. Like the, the performance in Hustings is rubbish, <laughs> to be honest. You know, and I used to get really nervous, and I still the civil servant in me, I used to want loads and loads of briefing, like all the detail in case somebody asked me something about this road somewhere or something. And I realized, oh my god, you don't, you know, you don't need any of that. I mean, so yeah, not great, but again. I don't want our politics to be not great. I want our politicians to know their stuff, and and I think it's a mix of you know I I, I I'm actually you know this year I'm quite pleased that Sadiq you know one I've got you know a lot of respect for Sadiq and I so I think that was a good result, but actually we could do better you know we we could do better than that and I think there's a nervousness in the hustings about not wanting to say things that upset people and again this goes back to I think the Labour Party needs to be confident in what it stands for and not worry so much about are they annoying, you know, a certain group or... And I I just... It didn't used to feel like that. It just feels like everybody's too nervous at the moment on on the
0: centre, centre-left. Also, doing that does alienate people because you alienate people who actually want to hear what you stand for and want you to be good and want you to um, make a case for things and be visible. Yeah. Um, so, I mean,
1: at the moment, you look at the moment, for example, in London, we've got Extinction Rebellion who are, you know, demonstrating in London. And, I, I, and I've and i been surprised and disappointed by Sadiq's kind of recent um, kind of comments on that in terms of, well, you know, I want people to get back to the office. and Everybody needs to come back to the office. And I think Extinction Rebellion are losing support of people. No. You know, if the Labour Party, you know, believe in what they say about the climate crisis being kind of the biggest challenge then you shouldn't be saying things like that you should be saying actually if you think extinction and rebellion are an inconvenience wait until climate change gets worse this is nothing you know this is i want politicians who are passionate about what they say are their priorities and stop kind of fudging it all the time you know and and so and i don't think we have that in the labor party at the moment i see very little of that
0: And how did it compare? I mean, obviously, in the end, you become the Lib Dem mayoral candidate for what was this year's election in 2021, delayed from 2020. But then you don't make it to the election in the end. You you sort of effectively stand down to the candidate. But until you did stand down, how did the experience differ from doing it as an independent in 2012 to then going into what you thought was going to be a 2020 election with party backing behind you?
1: Couldn't have been more different, is the honest answer. Running as an independent, small group of us, we had no party line on anything, so every day we had to wake up and go, God, what do we think about this, you know? And got really excited if I got a media kind of um, uh, um, exposure, you know, on anything. And So it was all quite dynamic and it it was all quite exciting. Running with a party, obviously you've got more support in terms of people and foot soldiers, but it comes at a really high cost, I think, and... um, so it was a bit of a roller coaster journey because I was selected as the candidate in November 18,
0: and you'd only joined two years previously. It's just yes.
1: incredible. I only joined two years previously, but almost straight away after I joined, um, I was getting asked, "Would you consider running as the mayoral candidate?" Because I think they struggle to find people who um, kind of want to do that position, or they struggle to find the right kind of people who want to do that.
0: Um, and what are the right kind of people?
1: Um, Let let me put it this way. There are some some people who put themselves forward who you wouldn't want to represent in the party. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and it was my first experience of being in a political party. And there are some brilliant, uh, there are brilliant people in political parties and brilliant like local grassroots volunteers who give way more of their time than they probably should to a party. And I will always be thankful for people who turned out and helped me and everything. But you also have to kind of accommodate the people in the party who, they have their very local interests, they're not, they they don't care about your mayoral campaign, they care about what's going on in their backyard and what what really surprised me is how many times, like I'd be sent all across London, you know, to go and talk to all these local parties, They didn't like me. They didn't like the fact I was running as the candidate. But they'd never met me. But it was just this, sometimes it's real hostile, like, um, well, you've never been here before, or you don't understand. You know, and I literally, i have just been selected. And that used to take me by surprise. Every time I used to go to a local party, my assumption was, these people were in the same party, they're going to want to help. And actually, a lot of them were trying to trip you up with, like, really niche policy questions and stuff. um, some of them, I used to wonder why they were in the Liberal Democrats, because they didn't seem to fit the kind of values of the Liberal, De- Liberal Democrats. Um, s- some older members, I don't think, liked a younger candidate. There were just all these different things going on. Some of the male members, I don't think, like women. Can- so I think there was stuff like that going on. Um, I wanted to run a campaign that was very focused on things like knife crime, on drugs reform, you know, I didn't think that would be a problem. The National Party has always had a kind of drugs reform policy. But behind the scenes, I was getting told, oh, don't go so hard on drugs reform. Don't talk so much about Black Lives Matter and knife crime. It doesn't go down well with our voters in kind of south-west London, beefy southwest London. And that was disappointing to me, because that was like, well, you're only ever going to have voters in that area of London if you don't talk about issues that are affecting the whole of London. So that was really disappointing, because... I don't think ultimately I could have run the campaign that I wanted to run anyway. Um, But it was a real roller coaster because having joined, I, you know, they selected me early with the view to running a long campaign, but then we went into the European elections, which were very positive for the Lib Dems. We were all on a high going into that conference in 2019 was amazing. And then a few months later we had the general election and it was just back down. So at the start of 2020, there was just no energy for the mayoral campaign at all. Um, Everyone was just worn out by the whole kind of what had happened in the election. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: And that resistance you face, I think, is common in all parties, particularly for, as you say, younger female candidates. Local parties can be just completely hostile, whether they're left wing, right wing or whatever. Yeah. Do you think your race played any part in in that hostility?
1: I'm not sure if it did on that level. One thing that did crop up a lot, though, is when I was going out talking to communities as the Liberal Democrat candidate, I was quite often the first Liberal Democrat that they'd ever had in that come into that community or go and visit that mosque or go on a Black Lives Matter demonstration um, and so there was a lot of people who were surprised to see me there, who, who were very welcome, very liked the fact that I was there. But again, that can't be right. You know, that can't be right that as a major political party, we aren't engaging in, in communities all across the country and all across London, you know. And London is such a fabulously diverse city that um, it did surprise me that I think um, the Lib Dems are st- still so kind of uh such a white kind of presence they are trying to change that to be fair they are trying to change that but that's going to take time so i'm not sure if that played a part in terms of the hostility i just i think whatever the like you say i think there are some people whoever the candidate is they're going to try and trip you up they're not going to give you your support you can never be good enough Um, and it's a very strange relationship i think that internal party politics is It's weird. It's really, really weird. And, you know, when I stood down in summer of last year, um, because of the, you know, all various reasons, but not a single piece of my literature had gone out in Southwest London, where the Lib Dems have the most support, the most volunteers, the most kind of foot soldiers. And yet I live in Southwest London. Almost every day I was getting Sadiq's literature. I was getting Sean Bailey's literature. Not a single bit of mine had gone out. Why not? I think it was just my message, again, like I said, I think they didn't, didn't buy into my messaging. Um, they wanted to run a campaign, I think, around the local assembly candidate. So again, it's that very local, they would do things on a very local level. And I na- when I said I was naive going in as an independent, I think I was naive going in as a party candidate as well. It's, I just thought every Liberal Democrat would want to support the Liberal Democrat mayoral candidate. And now, oh my God, I realise that's just not the way it works. It's just not the way it works at all. So they were refusing to
0: deliver your leaflets? I
1: wouldn't say refusing, it's just it never happens. (laughs) It just never happens. And it would drive me bonkers, because I would be like, we would order all these leaflets, you know, and you must know, like, the amount of stress that goes oh, in using a leaflet is ridiculous <laughs> like it's just takes up this disproportionate amount of your time um and then it doesn't go out and I'm sure there are boxes of my leaflets still <laughs> sat somewhere
0: insulating like, someone's loft somewhere in yeah Limbledon. that
1: never gone out it's just mad but I do I don't want to sound like because the one thing about being in the park is I did meet lovely lovely people and like I say I think it real grassroots level there are just brilliant volunteers who want to like help and and I had some great great people in my team but there are some people in these positions of power in these local parties that can just block everything yeah and I'm sure that's the same in other parties it just happens that my experience is in the Lib Dems
0: oh it absolutely is the fiefdoms that exist party secretaries constituency chairs some of them are very good people in all parties, but my words, they cling to that power jealously. Yes. Yeah. And they will block you. They will make your life hell. Yeah. yeah. It's not. It's very strange. And and what's really odd is, like, the, the sort of cliche of Lib Dems is they batter you with leaflets. You can't move, <laughs> you know, in any by-election or election, the people you always get a leaflet from are the Lib Dems. It's yeah, you find yourself as the Anita's mayor leaflets. You won't see many of those. That's appalling. So then... You stand down because effectively the the campaign gets extended by a year because of COVID. And obviously it's an unpaid role. It it must have basically been impossible for you uh, to earn a living, really, while you're the the Lib Dem candidate.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I know I'm really fortunate that I could do that. You know, second time I've quit a job to kind of go into politics. Second time I've come home and said to my husband, do you know what, guess what I'm going to (laughs) do? And I'm fortunate enough in that we could afford to do that. But from, yeah, from November... of when i was selected i think i worked for a few months after that i was working with warwick university and they were the team i was in were very good about letting me go part-time but gradually it became difficult um to do both so from definitely from kind of a year before the um, actual election should have been i was totally unpaid i didn't earn a penny so then when the pandemic hit the assumption was i would carry on and i just thought actually you know, no, I can't do this again. I can't put another year into this. Having had my eyes open by that point about how the campaign was going and, you know, and I felt by that point that essentially I was just the paper candidate. You know, they wanted somebody who didn't look too bad running as their candidate, wasn't going to say anything stupid, but actually never thought really that we could do that well. And I still think that uh, we could have run a good campaign uh, and I still think we could have been kind of snapping at second which would have been a great result you know Um, and also I think there were some interesting things about Rory Stewart and myself being in the campaign and we were starting to chat and talk and so that could have been quite interesting.
0: And what would that have involved?
1: I don't know exactly, but we were both up for thinking quite creatively. So, um, yeah, that that might have been quite
0: interesting. Well, like sort of double ticket, like a job share type thing.
1: I would have loved that. And I, yeah. Um, Yeah. But then obviously for both of us, it wasn't meant to be. I probably shouldn't say that because Rory and I were like doing it very quietly, but um, I'm sure you wouldn't
0: mind now. Oh no. No. And it was kind of uh, I mean it was, you know, in politics I think you have to kind of occasionally I consider so. interesting options. Exactly. Particularly when uh, you know as you correctly describe it, you know the, the the political landscape not just in terms of the London mayoral race but in general in in Britain it has has not been what it could have been.
1: This no, things could have absolutely. been very different.
0: And and sometimes I mean, when, I ran
1: into, when I ran in 2012 um towards the end of the campaign, you know, we really started to gain momentum and we were taking votes off off a bit off Labour but a lot of the Lib Dems and a lot of the Greens and uh, maybe off the Greens but definitely off the Lib Dems and I reached out to Brian Paddock who was the candidate at the time and said look should we have a chat because this could be quite interesting and um he was he was kind of open to a chat but he said the party just wouldn't kind of consider anything like that and I mean it was a mistake on their part because i we, I got more votes than them in almost every borough, bar the ones where they have their big support. And that, you know, So I think, again, yeah, I think parties are really stuck in this, we have to do it this way, and we can see that now going forward. You know, if there was some kind of progressive alliance, we could get the Tories out. But I just I don't have any faith in the parties being able to come together and do anything like that because they just don't want to think creatively and they can't think outside their kind of silence.
0: I mean, it should be noted as well, really, that your result in 2012 was remarkable. You only finished a whisker behind Brian Paddock yeah. and not that far behind Jenny Jones. I mean, you, yeah, you no, finished fifth was, as an independent, ahead yeah. uh, of UKIP, and and basically sort of neck and neck with the Greens and with, with the Lib Dems, just as yeah. a, a new I face know, it doing was. it on your own. It's incredible. Because well, like, I, I, I didn't know,
1: you know, I didn't know at the beginning, you know, what how this would go or anything. And... Um, and I just wanted to have a decent run. And the, the only, I think, a, an independent who hadn't been kind of a Ken figure before had got, like, 1,500 votes or something. So I was like, OK, if I do better than that, that's not going to be bad. And then I was watching um, the politics show that Andrew Neil used to have in the evening just before the election, and Michael Portillo said he was going to vote for me. Wow. This is interesting. Like, this is interesting now. Um And then I started to get some senior Labour people who said, we're voting for you. And I thought, "Mm, that's quite... And the first count, the first borough that came in, in the count, was Merton, where I grew up. And I came third. So I beat the Lib Dems there and I beat the... And at that point, it was really interesting. At that point, all my adrenaline just left and I thought, I can go home now. (laughs) I haven't embarrassed myself. (laughs) (laughs) This is okay. I can, you know, I'm happy with this result. But I think it was the start, looking back, I think it was the start. People wanted something different. They were getting fed up with, I think people were really fed up with Ken standing again because he basically basically said, if you don't select me, I'll run as an independent anyway. And so I think a lot of Labour, I certainly know a lot of Labour politicians gave me their vote. I know that because they've told me since. And I know a lot of kind of government civil servants who knew the kind of politics that they voted for me as well. So people wanted something else and they didn't want the old. It was this is London for God's sake, like eight million people were a really diverse city. We had the same three guys running who had run the, you know, the election before. We must be able to do better than that in terms of candidates coming forward in future. And I, I just wanna see better people going forward, you know.
0: So then, when you're the Lib Dem candidate and you decide that you're not going to do the extra year, how did that go down?
1: Um, it was a really difficult, to be honest. The last month was really um, not nice, I think, because I, I think I was... It wasn't just the... I, you know, as I say, I'm quite fortunate. I think I could have made another year work financially. I could have done that. I think it was everything. It was my realisation that... I did want to talk about race issues. I did want to talk about um, diversity. I did want to talk about drugs reform. I did still want to run this campaign as if we could have a good um, result. I didn't just want to run a campaign to get one or two more assembly members elected. Um, and I think the only people who are happier in opposition than Labour at the moment are the Lib Dems. You know, there's no kind of fight for like, actually, we can do really well here. There's a kind of resignation. And I just didn't want to be the front of that kind of campaign, I think. And and I was angry by the end that not everybody in London in the Lib Dems was coming together and kind of supporting this campaign. And maybe that's just, maybe that's me realising that, you know, I'm not great in a party, that <laughs> I get frustrated by that kind of lack of discipline, I think, in a party.
0: Are you still a member of the Lib Dems?
1: No. No, because... So I left and I left the, I stood down from the campaign. I didn't leave the party straight away. But then what happened was they went through a new selection process and um, they selected um, a candidate. Uh, they selected, they, they did a shortlist and one of the people on the shortlist who was then going to run as a potential candidate, it was just her. I mean, she turned out to be, she'd been on a, um, like a reality TV show a couple of years before and had just, said some stuff around, I can't remember what the show was, but there was a moment where she was trying to open a can opener apparently and hadn't been able to do it. And so, well, I've never opened a can opener in my life. And incredibly posh kind of person. And then a video emerged of her having run as a candidate several years before saying anti-Semitic things in in her campaign. And I was like, do you not just do basic checks on some of these? And that became a story and the problem was confusing me with her (gasps) um, because they still thought you know I was the candidate social media people were starting to get confused and I thought oh my god the last thing I want is people to think I'm this person and also it was just um, the final straw for me in terms of if you want to be a proper national political party you have to be professional and and one thing that used to like in this I think because I was in the civil service and I'd been a private secretary I knew what good look like in terms of briefing people in terms of diary management in terms of those basics of you know how you do things properly and very little of that existed in hq you know uh, in in my i mean i'm not there are brilliant people again but in my bit of it because they just their resources are so stretched i thought one of the things that you have to get right is you have to do some basic checks on people if you're going to potentially have those as your as your candidates and literally a two minute Google would have exposed all of this stuff from this woman. And so at that point I thought, no, I don't want to be part of that. But the bigger thing for me was they just stopped talking about Brexit and I joined the party because of Brexit, you know, and after the general election, when Labour stopped talking about Brexit to me, And I'm sure there are strategy people who are far cleverer than me. But to me, this was the Lib Dems opportunity to fill that space, to say we are unapologetically still pro-European. We still think Brexit is a bad idea. Labour might have got nervous and don't want to talk about it, but we're not going to stop talking about it. We're going to keep fighting for our place in Europe and we think we should rejoin. And they backed away from that entirely so again i was back to this place of why am i now in this party i joined it because of their anti-brexit stance the first i think for the first time in years they were cutting through with their bollocks to brexit message and a big thing for the lib dems is how do you ever cut through and get covered they finally managed to do some of that and then they go and stop talking about it and i and so then again i was like well as a pro-european somebody who thinks we have just made the biggest mistake in my living memory in terms of a policy, you know, dragging us out of kind of the EU. Now where do I vote? Now who's who's representing me? And the Lib Dems weren't even doing it anymore. So all of that meant that I just left the party. So I am now literally, genuinely politically homeless.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, it's hard for the Lib Dems, isn't it? Because I really thought they were going to do better in 2019. And I really thought that in all the debates, Joe Swinson was by far the most effective performer, and gave far better answers and was treated far harsher than the others. It seems that not many people shared that view. Yeah, yeah. But it must have been really hard for the Lib Dems to, to really go hard on, basically, revoke um, and to get absolutely scunnered. I mean, do you think that going too hard on Brexit did cost the party, or was it just that Corbyn versus Boris and the party would have got squeezed anyway?
1: Yeah, I think it was the squeeze because I mean I was knocking on doors for Chuka, for Sam Gima, for Luciana, you know, all across London in Wimbledon, where the Lib Dems could have won if Labour hadn't campaigned against them as hard as they did. And actually, more as as many people as were talking about Brexit, were talking about Jeremy Corbyn. So a lot of people weren't voting for Boris because he was the kind of going to deliver Brexit. They just did not want Jeremy Corbyn. And I've never believed there is a majority for people in this country who wanted to leave the EU. And the sums just don't add up. If you go through and look at who voted, um, it just doesn't add up. So I think it was as much an anti-Corbyn vote as anything else. And that's where I think the Liberal Democrats... I don't think they were wrong to go hard on brexit i think when you look at their support that's when their support base grew the most you know in the last sort of few years people like me coming to join the party they got all of you know they got the mps coming over to them i think they were up to like 20 mps by the, the general election you know because they had people coming from conservatives and and labor i think i i honestly think and i might be proved wrong but I, I honestly think their mistake now is to have backed off i think People do a lot of doubling down these days on lies and the wrong things. I want people to double down on the right things and not be scared about doing that. And I think the Lib Dems got scared to do that because they read the wrong conclusions into that 2019 election result. Um, And if you look, actually, their overall vote share went up in that election. It's just they ended up in second place in a lot of places. But I don't think think people weren't voting for them because of their pro-Brexit... Um, stance. They weren't voting for them because they thought they needed to keep Jeremy Corbyn out.
0: It's interesting that with Brexit, because um, I sort of changed my opinion on what the right thing to do is, because part, obviously voters remain and um, I think Brexit's a bad idea, um, but part of you goes, well, at some point... You, not that you don't at some point leave the door open because, uh, you know, if, if you think we're better off in the European Union, it's entirely rational to keep that opinion. Mm. But there's a sense to which you have to, I don't know, I think maybe the rest of the country thinks, why are you still talking about Brexit? We voted to leave, just get on with it. <laughs> you know, in a way it makes it look like having yesterday's conversation, especially with COVID.
1: Yeah, I get that. And I get, I you know, and I get the fatigue of kind of talking about Brexit. To me, and and this is a very simple way of looking at politics, you should go into politics to make people's lives safer, happier, more prosperous. None of those things are gonna be easier outside the EU. They're all gonna be harder outside the EU. So if you want to go into politics to do the right thing, you can't stop talking about what is the right thing just because this campaign that was based on the worst possible populist lies and manipulation produced a certain outcome. And democracy should be about rectifying those things when they happen. And so I want more politicians to be coming in saying Brexit was bad. Whether we end up then going back the way we were before, I don't know. But we need people like, you know, Farage didn't sort of say well, if we don't leave the European Union, we could do this. We could just do a bit of this or whatever. And I think that's one thing in Labour and the Lib, they were like, well, let's not talk about rejoin now. We could talk about getting back in the customs union and saying, I want somebody to go, we need to rejoin. That's the best thing for our country. We need to rejoin. Let somebody else do the nuancing after that if they need to. I want somebody to be saying the best thing for the United Kingdom and for our citizens and for our future and for our children is to be in the European Union, a fully signed up member, we should rejoin. And there needs to be that movement and that voice because only from there will something else come, hopefully. But who's saying that? Nobody's saying that. Or there are disjointed disparate groups saying that, but there's no big movement. And all the time I get people saying, we'll start something. Do You know, it's so hard to do... You know, we saw, like, the Tiggers, they tried to do a new thing. You know, it's just so hard. But, oh, my God, I want somebody to do it. I really do want somebody to do it, because we need it.
0: And, and, and for you, obviously, you're a hugely talented politician with so much to offer politics, and yet you're not in Westminster, you're not even on a local authority. No. I mean, what's your view of elected politics and your role in it? in the future I, I
1: honestly I struggle to answer that because I don't know I've tried you know I've, and i when I say I I'm not talking about me now I'm talking about people like me you know if you're a normal person with a you know my parents weren't in politics my dad was a teacher my mom was a carer like you know I didn't have a network that got anybody like me who wants to go into politics how do you do it? Where do you go? Like, if you're if you're centre ground or even sort of centre left at the moment, where where would you go? And I've had a lot of people ask me who want to go into politics, what do you advise? I really struggle at the moment. I'm like, the only thing I can say is, well, we'll get into your local council. Like, stand as a councillor and see how that goes. But who do you stand for? What party would you stand for? If you stand as an independent, where would you go after that? So where do you go? And like... You then come very quick, you know, there's lots of people who have started new parties. I've helped, there's a rejoin party, there's, you know, there's all these different parts, Reboot GB, Reboot UK. Great, they're all, and I've got huge respect, because anyone who's trying to start something, brilliant. But I can't see it all coming to, you know, I would love half of the Labour Party, the kind of, what I recognise as the new Labour bit of the Labour Party, what are you waiting for? Like, what are you waiting for? Just... I've been waiting for years for you all to just start something, you know, start a new Labour, a new New Labour party. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Because you've you've lost three you blooming elections. Like, when do you? Four. End? Four, yeah, four. <laughs> when do you decide enough? This isn't the party that it was, you know. Yeah. and It's just it's so frustrating. So the honest answer is I don't know. I don't. I can't see a route for me. In politics, I bag away on Twitter. That's about as far as it goes. <laughs> Some <laughs> people listening
0: time. to this, new Labour types, might say, well, Siobhan, join the Labour Party and add another new Labour voice to the centre of gravity in that movement. Be the change you want to be in the Labour Party. Do you see... I don't
1: see the new Labour voices in the Labour Party. Like, I don't see the influence they have. Um, and I don't know if I can go through any of those local party meetings... <laughs> ever again, I'm traumatised by that. But yeah, that, maybe maybe that is the only kind of option, possibly at some point, at some time in the future.
0: Because it does feel just selfishly, and there's there so many people listening to this thinking, it is, it's insane when we have so many substandard politicians that really impressive, talented people aren't there. And I don't just mean about the Labour Party, I just mean elected politics in general. There's so many people listening to this saying, I wish Siobhan was in Parliament.
1: There are so many great... I mean, I think it's insane that Chukka and Luciana aren't in Parliament. It's, it's so sad for the country that people like that didn't get elected. Politics is not electing the right people. We're not electing the right people. I, I wake up every day baffled and deeply depressed by the fact that Boris Johnson is our prime minister how did that happen how did how did we get to that state and i mean there are so many things you know the role of the media the kind of just populism lies all of these things that have got us where we are today so it's quite logical actually that a lot of people who actually could be brilliant in parliament look at it and think why would i go there why would i do that and also i think the problem One of the things I realised, even in 2012, when I was running, why would people believe me, me? They don't know me. Why would they trust when I say I'm going to do something or when I go to a community and I say, I really care about what's happening here? Why would they believe that anymore? Because so many politicians have let them down and are obviously letting them down. So many of our politicians now lie day after day after day with no consequence why would the public trust you anymore? And I I used to feel that all the time when I would go, and I kind of want to look people in the eye and go, I honestly mean it. I genuinely mean this. I think this is crazy. Like we've got to a state where I don't trust politicians when they say things. So how are we going to create a new generation of politicians that you can believe in, that you can trust in? And I think that's a massive challenge for our democracy because increasingly now uh, you know we've seen our politicians now they lie on a daily basis they lie in parliament and there's no you know we, we are in this ridiculous situation where you can get chucked out of parliament for calling somebody a liar but not for being the liar that's not a healthy democracy you have to change all of those things fundamentally and and i have i you know i used to get frustrated that young people don't go out and vote enough you know and we are we are even compared to other countries we're an outlier in in low levels of voting amongst the younger population. I look at them now and I think, no, they they get it. They see these politicians for what they are. They know they're not authentic. So why would they go out and vote? And that worries me because that means we just get politicians that are worse and worse. And, you know, that's not good. It's just not good.
0: Would you stand as an independent again for any office?
1: Um possibly I mean at the moment I I, I genuinely am like where do, you know I, I keep signing up to all these webinars where like <laughs> only Blair does this thing and Alistair Campbell does this thing and I keep signing up when you can ask questions I'm like what does somebody like me do like where do I go how do I channel my energy and everything and there's never a proper answer so I don't I don't know that is a quite that's probably the most frustrating thing is and there are not just thousands or tens of thousands, I believe there are millions of people like me who feel like me. There are millions of people who consider themselves in the centre of politics. Not all of them who want to run in, but where do they go? And we just, we need a we need a person to come forward who can somehow harness that massive group of politically homeless people.
0: You need a by-election in London. Yeah, something like that and yeah. stand as an independent in a by-election oh, I know Martin Bell was outside of London that wasn't a by-election but there was him there was the Kidderminster Hospital guy in 2001 yeah. I mean obviously Caroline Lucas has the backing of a party but yeah. you know nevertheless shows that you can yeah. cut through when it's like at a constituency level so maybe yeah. that's maybe that's the yeah, answer
1: possibly yeah possibly well
0: who know. knows what the future holds Siobhan this has been yeah. an absolute treat thank you so much
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Siobhan Benita, what a total inspiration and someone who should absolutely be in Parliament or some Parliament somewhere, should at least be representing something in an elected forum, should be on the Greater London Assembly or something. That is someone far too talented to be on the outside and um, just that sense of... Uh, frustration at the last few years in british politics i think is even people inside parties would share um but a thoroughly modern tale an incredible 2012 result to finish just behind the lib dems as someone no one had ever heard of in a city like london is just absolutely incredible and shows the difference that impressive candidates make that the, that you can do on your own obviously loads of hard work loads of effort loads of hard political work, think about what your messages are and all those things. But just having someone impressive leading things makes a huge difference. Um, So I was just absolutely enthralled throughout the whole way through. Obviously, uh, Siobhan's politics are are very close to mine. So um, I know it really resonated with me, but I think with these conversations sometimes, even if you're a Brexiteer or a conservative or whatever, I just think, people will still identify with a frustration about the way that politics is conducted. Um, and uh, you don't have to share Siobhan's politics to get that or, or to find that a useful thing to hear. So I just loved every second of that. Um, don't forget, you can email the show politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com and you can come and see it live in its new home in the West End at the Duchess Theatre. The first night is in just a few weeks time, Monday the 27th of September with Andy Burnham, live on stage at the Duchess Theatre. I'll see you soon, I might even see you there. Ta-ra.